Hey there, thanks for checking out the Jacobswell podcast. My name is Paul, and this week at Jacobswell, we're in week three of Legacy, a super important study for us here at Jacobswell. We are in the book of Ecclesiastes, and this week we are at a turning point. Up until this point, it's been some pretty heavy thing, but don't be surprised this week if we discover some joy. Extra hour sleep. Ah. I think we should do that every week. Just make it a thing on Sunday. I don't know how we do the math on that, but wouldn't it be awesome? Have you ever needed a turning point? You know what I'm talking about? You're at a place where you say, something's got to give, something's got to change, something's got to change direction. Turning points are what makes life exciting, actually. You're watching a game or you're playing a game and you need a sack or a score or an interception and you get it and we say, that was the turning point. Turning point in business is huge, right? If I can get this contract or, or if I can get this promotion or if I can just get this niche in the market, then all of a sudden everything changes. It, it's, it's crucial in relationships, right? It was when I realized they didn't mean this, but they meant this and that just changed everything. It's when I learned to forgive and I began to see that as a human being again, everything changed. Turning points are what add adventure to life. Well, this weekend, we are at a turning point in the book of Ecclesiastes, this incredible Old Testament book of wisdom that helps us ask questions about the smart way to live, the wise way to live, how to align our life with the way that reality really is. And, and, and one of the things that has been an observation about these first couple weeks in Ecclesiastes is that it's a heavy book. Because it's a real book about real life, this weekend we're going to start discovering the joy in the book of Ecclesiastes. So we've, we've talked about several things in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, uh, one of the first things we've talked about is this thing called hevel. Now hevel is that Hebrew word that is often translated meaningless or empty or vanity. And we've been saying for the last couple of weeks, it's not a great translation. It's inaccurate because it actually literally in Hebrew is a metaphor. And, and what the metaphor is, is means smoke or vapor. And what the book of uh, Ecclesiastes is saying is not that there's no meaning in life, but that meaning is hard to grasp. It's like trying to grab smoke. It's fleeting. It's chaotic. It's out of control, that, that we just don't have control in this life. And there's all kinds of things that just don't make sense in this life. And this thing of Hevel has kind of grabbed a hold of some people. People have been coming up to me and saying, holy Hevel, this week has been crazy. I mean, and, and it's kind of part of the Jacob's Well vernacular now, right? Where we're just saying, how was your week? A lot of Hevel this week, holy cow. And, and so, so, so we get it, right? This is the way the world is. And one of the, the key things, actually, we said about this thing of Hevel is one of the keys and the key to living in a world of Hevel is acceptance. That in this life, there are going to be some good things that happen, some bad things to happen, and blinding flash the obvious, we are not in control. So crucial understanding this thing of Hevel. Over 40 times, he says, Hevel, Hevel. It's just a bunch of hevel. It's just hard to figure out what life is all about. The second concept that is huge in the book of Ecclesiastes is this concept of under the sun. This is the concept of our time on earth, the time from when we're born to the time that we die. And, and the question is, is how should we use our time under the sun? Now, next week, Roxanne is going to bring a message. It is a powerful message. It might be the most important message of this entire series. I, I kid you not. But, but, but this thing of... Life under the sun is crucial because 
we live in a world that tells us what's important is the 50, 60, 70, 100 years we get while on earth. And we're currently, as a culture, in a crisis of belief because we're living for the immediate, the temporary. There's actually a major movement that's telling us all there is is our life under the sun. We'll be here and then we'll go and there really is nothing else. And so you got to get it. You got to hit it. You got to make it happen. If your thing is success, you, you got so much time. If your thing is pleasure, if your thing is fame, whatever it is, you have under the sun. So how are we supposed to live? Now, the third thing is chasing after the wind. And the big question is, is there anything worth chasing after? Is there a reason to get out of bed in the morning? Is there a reason to walk out the front door? Is there some meaning in life? Now, shoot, last week, powerful message about all the things we chase and how very often we chase them and they're like, I thought that was meaningful. It's like smoke. I thought this was meaningful. It was fame. It was relationships and all these different things. And, and ultimately it came to this thing of even pleasure that I gave myself to pursuing these things and found that they were heavy, that they, they were chasing after the wings. I thought one of the most profound points that Shua brought out last week was this understanding that the teacher, remember the preacher, the cynic, as the critic as he, as he called him last week, the, the person bringing forth this teaching uh, said, I went after all these things, I did this, and I went for pleasure, I went for fame, and I went for work, I went for toil, and found it all hevel, just not meaningful. He said, but the big thing about it is that it was all about I, that he was using this life for the temporary, and it was about him, and he found it profoundly empty. So these concepts we've been looking at are, are profound. They're real. They're explanatory about the way the world actually is, and, and, and it's been kind of heavy. Now, there are four things we've been saying and we want to say. The first thing we want to say is that God exists above the heaven, above the chaos. So we live in heaven. God rules above it. That is to say that God has a plan and that God is in control. So how can I accept the fact and live in freedom while not being in control? Well, because I believe that God is in control. And because he is in control, I can take a step back. And this is going to be crucial to understand the text we're going to look at today. The second thing is that there is life before and after our time under the sun. So there is something that exists above us, but there is something before us. There is something after us. This concept is eternity. And this stuff after us concerns us. We will be involved in it. It's important. And when you have a perspective that this time under the sun is not the game, it's the pregame. It is not the act. It is the opening act. It is the preparation for something more significant. It radically changes the way you live. Now the third thing that we're discovering in the book of Ecclesiastes is those things that are most real are the eternal things. And this is just simple, right? The things that we are, have temporary, that don't last, are nothing compared to the most significant things that are eternal, the things that, that will never, ever pass away. Those are the things that are most real. And then the fourth thing is that there are things worth chasing in this life. There are reasons to get out of bed. There are reasons to go for it. There are reasons to live with passion and energy. There are things that are worth chasing. Okay, let's take a look at the turning point passage of Scripture. Now, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting in verse 9. Now, what I want you to notice in verse 3 is he starts with the exact same question that he began in the very first chapter in verse 2. He says, what gain or what value 
has the worker from all his toil. So he's asking that same question again. Is the struggle worth it? Is it worth the fight? Is there anything worth just going for? What's the gain? What's the point? Now in chapter 1, remember the, the, the teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes, he's playing with us. He's, he's trying to draw us out. He's poking at us. He's making us look at things we don't want to look. So he says at first, it's hevel, it's hevel. It's hard to get. It's chaotic. It's hard to understand. And, and then he actually says, you know, it's an it's a unhappy business that I found in this life. And then chapters 1 and 2 and into 3, he starts talking about all the different things that he went chasing. And he found all that to be hevel, all that to be not what life is all about. But in chapter 3 now, he's going to take a very different direction. He's going to actually answer the question in a very different way. This is the turning point. He says, what gain has the worker from his toil? He said, now I have seen the business that God has given, that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. He said, I've seen something different, another way of living, a way of living and a perspective on living that will change what I'm already doing. Here's the thing about turning points that I've found in my own life. That the most important turning points are not changing things outside of me, but changing something inside of me. The most important things are when my perspective shifts, when I look at something different, when I say, wow, I've been looking at it like this, and now it's this. And when those things are profoundly internalized deeply, everything changes. All right, let's take a look at the things. Two perspective changes. Here's the first one. He says, first of all, he has made everything beautiful in his time. So what this is saying is that God has a plan. And his plan is a good plan. Now there are times the plan doesn't look like a good plan. Just like in every story, there are chapters where everything is falling apart. God is telling the story. He is creating a masterpiece. And in his time, in his way, he is going to make things beautiful. Now that word beautiful in the Hebrew is a really interesting word. Because what it literally means is, is that it's a perfect fit. It, it clicks into place. At the right time, God's going to make things come together in a way that's just going to blow our mind. Imagine you're working on a piece of machinery, and there's a tiny part that's got to be put in, and, and it's really small, and it's really precise, and you got to get it just so, and you try, oh, I didn't get it. Oh, I just crooked. Oh, I got to take it out again. Frustrating. And then all of a sudden, you hear click. Oh, Beautiful. And then just beautiful, it's the perfect pass in the corner of the end zone. That's beautiful, fell in just perfectly. It's, it's the perfect timing. It's those rare times when you say exactly what you need, exactly at the right time, with exactly the right motivation. It just comes in beautifully. And so this word is saying that God has a plan. And his plan involves just all of humanity. Okay, so how many store characters are in this story? Lots and lots. I mean, aren't the great stories, the stories where the author starts, here's a character, and here's a character, and here's a character. They're all unrelated, and there's like 20 different characters. And you say, what is this author going to do? I'm interested in this story. And then throughout the story, they weave these 20 people together, and it comes together in a very meaningful way. So oh, that was brilliant. Well, God's working on about a billion plus 11 billion characters. And, and, and his story is a story that's being told. And there are dark chapters in the story. There's a lot of heaven in the story. But in God's time, he is making things beautiful. He is bringing the right way and the right thing. And he can take the most hard things and make them significant. 
He can take the most ordinary, mundane things and build character from them. He can take a struggle, a painful struggle, and actually bring something profound and beautiful from it. He can do it in our individual lives, and he's telling a big story of all creation. And when that story is told at the end in the great judgment, man, we're all going to just be going, wow, God, you are the master. And we are part of your story Wow. And so that's a perspective that because God has a plan, I need to be not so worried about my little plans under the sun. And I need to align my plans with God's plan. Say more about that in just a minute. Watch the second perspective shift. He says, also, he has put eternity into our hearts. That is to say, he has shown us that there is more than our little life here under the sun. There was something before us. There was something after us that our very spirit testifies the longing for more is actually one of the great evidences that there is more that we were created for something greater than ourselves bigger than ourselves something that is going to last beyond us now that doesn't mean that God gives us a roadmap take a look at this about his plan he said yet so even though God's gonna make everything beautiful even though we know it's an eternal plan it's in our heart yet so he cannot find it we cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end that is to say God hasn't spoiled the ending that is to say God doesn't feel obligated to explain see this is what's going on Paul You're going to go through this hard thing, and then you're going to relate to this. But really, it had something to do with your dad that I've been working on. But now it's part of this. And then it's going to affect your future, and then your kids too in this way. And it's going to affect this other person over here that you don't even know about. He doesn't bother doing that. He actually doesn't feel obligated to explain. And so this is where faith comes in, that as we're walking, there is a belief that, God, you are working a plan, and it's a beautiful plan. And it's going to click together in the proper time, in the proper way. And, and God, it's, it affects eternity. It is worth doing more so than any other thing we could do as, as just something under the sun. Because this is going to endure forever. Now what this does is it creates a new perspective on us. It sets us free and it creates something in us that should absolutely amaze us in the book of Ecclesiastes. It brings us joy. Look what it says. He said, I perceived that there is nothing better for us than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. So getting this perspective all of a sudden creates this thing of joy. So joy is not like a bubbly, happy, kind of slappy kind of thing. The the theologian describes joy perfectly when he says it is an inward sense of well-being that cannot be shaken. That joy comes to us in this thing saying, you know what? I'm going to walk out my door today and some good things could happen and some bad things could happen. I'm going to have the courage to walk out the door because whatever I face, I believe God's got it in control. He's got a plan, and that I'm joining his plan and doing things that are going to have eternal consequences, so I'm going to trust him. And so I have this sense of well-being that gives me courage to face the uncertainty, gives me courage to face the hevel that allows me to open the door and walk into life and to face what's going to happen. Because here's the day, here's the deal. Some bad things might happen, but some good things might happen too. Some beautiful things might happen. And, and don't you love it? God does it every now and again where he will click this together and this together, and you will see his hand say, oh, he did this and this and this. Ah, oh, I see what you were doing here, God. I sure wish I knew what you were doing over here, but I see here. Every now and again, God gives us a glimpse of that. Say, listen, I got these little things. That's just my way of saying I got these big things too. 
And so we experience this joy. And the longer you walk with God in that spirit, the more you learn to trust him, the more you deepen, and the more joy is the fruit of what happens. Now, the second thing he says is that the better thing you can do is you can choose to do good your whole life long. That is to say, you, you avoid the temptation of saying, something bad happened to me, so now I'm going to develop a bad attitude. I'm going to get negative. I'm going to use it as an excuse to not love people or to give up or to give up myself or give up on some other thing. But because I know that God has a different perspective, he has a plan that's eternal, I can say, you know what, I'm going to keep doing the right thing because that's what God has called me to do. I'm committed to it. Now what happens in addition to that is we find the ability to begin to actually enjoy life. Take a look what he says. He says, I also have found that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all the struggle. Even in the midst of the struggle, there's ability to take pleasure. He says, this is the gift of God to man. Now, last week, we just heard a whole series about Shua saying, the person who pursues pleasure and goes after pleasure doesn't seem to get any pleasure. This is the trick. This is the thing that causes us to enjoy life. That when we take a step back and we say, you know what? I'm no longer going to try to control heaven. And I'm going to trust God's plan, and it's an eternal plan. So even if difficult things happen, I have that in perspective. And so even though difficult things happen, when good things happen, I'm going to enjoy them. I'm going to savor them. I'm going to experience them. You you know, the ironic thing is, is that the people who enjoy life the least are the people who live to enjoy life. The people who go after self-interest and pleasure and new experience and this and that and all for themselves, they are some of the most unhappy people. But the people who are about God's business and God's plan, when good things happen, they just enjoy life. They enjoy the things that happen. The other thing that happens is that we don't put pressure on the pleasures of this life. If if we believe that all we get is the 70 light years or so we're here on earth, we got to say, boy, I got to enjoy this life. I got to make these experience counts. You only go around once. This is the important thing. It puts huge pressure on our pleasure so that even before we're done enjoying supposedly the experience that we've push to make happen. We're thinking about the next thing we can do to make ourselves happy. But when that's not our perspective, we can just take the good things and we can enjoy them as they come. A good meal, a good conversation, a good friendship, because all our eggs are not in the basket of under the sun. It also reminds us that any pleasure that we receive here on earth, no matter how intense, no matter how significant, is just a shadow compared to the delights that are waiting for us. And so it sets our heart again towards eternity. You see how the change in perspective of seeing that God's got a plan and eternity changes the way you live life. Very often we think I gotta change so much what I'm doing, I gotta change my career, I gotta change something external so that I can be happy. But what has to change first is what's going on inside of us. See, this is the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. He goes back then to God's plan. He says this, he said, I perceived that whatever God does endures. See, this is just a statement of conviction about God's plan. See, what I do is temporary. What I do is passing away. But what God does, he's working on eternal stuff. I want to be part of that. I want to connect what I do every day with 
humanity and people because people are eternal. I want to be part of his eternal work and I want to see him doing those things. This is what we mean when we talk about the shift from being an owner to a steward. An owner thinks their life is for them, about them. it's, It's about their pleasures, their desire, their want. They fool themselves into thinking they're in control and they're free. Okay? Listen, if you're living like an owner, you're not free. Something else is going to control you. Some other thing is going to own your life. But when you're a steward, you're a person who understands, okay, I'm not free. I belong to God. And because I belong to God, I want to ask myself, God, what do you want me to do with my life? What do you want me to do with my time? I've got influence. How do you want me to use it? I've got relationships. How do you want me to live in them? I've got resources. How do you want me to use them? And when I make that shift, believing that God's got a plan that endures, I'm aligning myself with eternal purposes, plans that are bigger than I could ever imagine. And so he says, whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it and nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that the people fear before him. That is to say, people will be blown away. And so at the great judgment, when God's plan is laid out and we'll see, wow, he has orchestrated a story that involves billions of people and thousands of years and we can see how it all comes together and we get glimpses of it now but when we see how it all orchestrates together and it becomes this thing beautiful we're just going to be going dang God wow I don't know if we're supposed to say dang in heaven (laughs) but we will be in awe of God we will be in holy reverence what it means to fear God says wow You are God, we are not. You have told a great story. And so I want to be part of that story. I want to be invested in that. I want to understand that that's my eternity. That's my destiny. When I have that, anything under the sun pales in comparison. And so the the things I go for here, I have in proper perspective. The pleasures I have, I can enjoy, but I don't have so much pressure on them because that's not the big game. This is just kind of like a pregame to the one that really matters. And, and so it radically changes how I live. Jesus talked about this. He talked about Ecclesiastes in a very different way. Same concepts. what he said. He says, do not let for yourself treasures on earth, okay, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He says, it's easy math. You go to anybody and you say, okay, you can have some stuff that's not satisfying, that's temporary, you got to give it back. Or you can have some stuff that's ultimately fulfilling, stuff that is eternal, stuff that you never, you never have to return. You know, who, who, which are you going to do? You can have stuff that the anticipation of it causes you to live better with more joy, enjoying life, with more pleasure in life. The key to enjoying life is to not live to enjoy life, to live for something more significant than enjoying life. Pleasure and joy and happiness and relationships catch up to the person who's living for the purposes of God. This is what the steward finds, that I'm not a steward just because God makes me. This is the best way to live. This is what I was created to do. It creates joy and pleasure in my life. Jesus says, don't be the fool who lives for treasures on earth. He goes on, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. An eternal thing, bigger plan, where there's no moth or rust that destroy, and where thieves don't break in and steal. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What does he put in our heart? He's put eternity in our hearts. And so when you set your heart, and in the, in the Bible, both in the New Testament and the Old Testament, the Hebrew word and the Greek word, the heart, the best translation we'd have in English would be the will. That is to say, the place we decide who we are and what we're about and the choices we make and how we want to live and what we value. 
So he says, what, what you treasure in your heart, he says, he says, um, 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 your, what, 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 he says, what you treasure, that's where your heart will be. That will guide the direction of your life towards temporary things that you can't keep that are unfulfilling, that are hevel, or eternal things that transform how you live even in the midst of the struggle and the toil. It has the ability to transform everything. Look how Jesus ends this passage of scripture. He says, no one can serve two masters. Okay? Again, you are ruled by something. Okay? And, and it could be your desires, your passion, your need for attention, your need for fame, your need for wealth, your need to be loved, some other thing that you are, you are valuing, you are ruled by that, you are, ruled by that. You, are, you, are you enslaved to that. And, and understand, any master other than Jesus is a cruel master. That master does not love you. It has made no sacrifices for you. When it's done with you, it'll throw you to the side. It has no eternal plan for you. It just doesn't care about you. It is a false God. It is a false master. It is a cruel master. Jesus has proved his love for you. You see? So he says you can't have two masters, for either you will hate one and you will love others. Eventually it will tear you apart. It's called double-minded in the book of James. It's a heart that is divided. Eventually you're going to break one way or the other. And this is why people who set their heart on something other than God find themselves being, you know, unhappy at church. And then they're happy with the Bible and they're frustrated with God and all these questions, negative attitudes, and they find themselves drifting from God rather than affection for God and the worship of God and the delight in God. It's because they're setting their heart on another treasure. It says they will hate one and love the other, or that person will be devoted, will be passionate, will live for the other, and uh, will live for the one and despise the other. It says you can't serve both God and money. You can't serve both God and anything. It's interesting to me that he ends on that thing of money because money is the whole, you know, uh, big, big part of the, the, the problem, isn't it? Because in our culture, particularly in America, we think if I can get enough money, I can control heaven. I can buy enough insurance. I can buy enough influence. You know, I can protect my kids. I can make sure nothing bad happens to my kids if I have enough. Big enough house, big enough whatever. You know, I can buy them the right education. We buy them the right, insure everything. And, 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 and because we believe that, it, it leads us to this place where we start serving it. We start owning it. That's why Jesus talks about money and wealth so much. This is that stewardship is all about. This idea that my life is for me and about me. Or my time, my talent, my influence is about God. This is actually what legacy is all about. See, legacy is about discipleship. It's about spiritual formation. It's about freedom in your life as a steward that brings both joy and pleasure. That is to say, it causes you to enjoy life. The people who enjoy life most are the people who have given their life to Christ. And, and the more I put my life under his lordship, the more I experience both pleasure and joy. You might be wondering about these rocks here we have up front. Uh, these rocks have a history with us. They're actually part of our legacy. Originally, uh, there were 12 of them. We have some here, and there's some in the theater. And originally, in both, both venues, some of these were originally 12 rocks that we brought to um, the middle schools when we were uh, still in the middle schools years ago. And we were reminded in the scripture of, of some stories about the people of God. There's a story of the people of God when they left the wilderness after having been slaves in Egypt. They had to learn how to be free. You maybe remember the wilderness series we did. And they crossed into the promised land. And, and God stopped the waters of the Jordan. And he said, here's the deal. When you go through the waters of Jordan, have them pick up big stones and bring them to the side. And then I want you to make an altar and I want you to sacrifice them to me. And then there's 
another story about the people of God when they won a battle, a battle they shouldn't have won. And the person who was their leader at that time says, gather up some stones, stack up an altar. I want you to make this great altar, and we're going to call the altar Ebenezer. The word Ebenezer, you know, the song, come thou fount of every blessing. The second verse is here, I raise my Ebenezer. You probably thought that was like the guy's oldest son. It's not. Ebenezer is, is a, here, I'm going to raise up an altar. Because the word Ebenezer means God is my help. It is a reminder that says, God has helped me. God has been faithful to me amidst the chaos, amongst the hevel. God had a plan before, has a plan ever. And this is what they said about both those altars. It's stunning. It's all about legacy. He said, and this is, he said, make the sacrifices. And then when you're walking along with your children and they say, how'd those big rocks get there? They were in the middle of the river. And why do people go to those big rocks and they act like they're special or something? When your children ask you about these stones, say to them, those are the stones of God's help. There was a time when we were slaves in Egypt and we were owned by other things. We had cruel masters and God sent Moses the deliverer and he freed us and now we, we walk free and, and we had to go through this process of wilderness where we learned how to live free and then God brought us into this land that we live in. And this is a reminder that God has been faithful. He will be faithful. He's got a plan. He exists above the hevel and we can trust him. And so these stones, which ordinarily, they actually sit out as you drive up the cross in the driveway. You see in the front, they're usually around them. Well, we brought them in because we used these, oh golly, over 10 years ago, uh, at, when we were still in the middle schools, uh, way over 10 years ago, uh, probably like 15 years ago, and we made an altar. And it was on that altar uh, during a time we were talking about building community, changing lives, where, where different people in the church came and they brought their commitment cards forward. And, and they made commitments. And some of the people started giving at that time who had never given before. Some of the people who had been givers learned the joy of tithing, the, the obedience of tithing that opens their life up to an incredible blessing. And then others gave sacrificially above that. And we have what we have now because those people took steps to do that. And, and it was a picture of that. And so we brought this forward because we're in a season right now in the life of our church where we've been talking about legacy. And when you came in this morning, uh, you, you found this commitment card on your seat. And some of you maybe went, when you saw this commitment card, right? Some of you being honest, so you're going, Ugh. all right. So, so this is the thing about the commitment card is that Regularly, routinely, every couple years, we come along and we ask the people of God to make commitments um, as an act of worship, as an act of obedience. And, and, and we're at that place again. Now, just to put it in perspective, uh, it was over three years ago where we started asking people to make commitments the last time. So this is not something we do all the time. This is not something we do often. Why do we do this? Well, one, because we as a church have some challenges in front of us. In fact, we had six different events, banquets, where we invited people in the church to come in and to hear, hey, here's where the church is at, here's our challenges, here we want to address them. And if you didn't get a chance to go to them, I'm going to ask you to do something. If you care about this church and this church has ministered to you, I really want to ask you to go to the website. If you just click, right, first thing come up is the legacy banner. Click on that, and there will be a video of that night there. I really want to ask you to watch that because we really unpack what we're going to be doing over the next two to three years, the next five to six, seven, eight years, and the next 10 to 12 years. And, and we're talked deeply in that, that, that time about us being a church that, that has had a great 20 years. We're about to turn 20 years old, but most churches have one generation of impact. And the next work we're going to do in the next two to three years is going to set us up to have an impact in the next 20 years and beyond so that this church will be bringing glory to God and changing lives long after 
we are gone because of what we're talking about doing right now. That this is a crucial moment in the life of our church. And for you to hear that story and for you to hear that call, it would just be really important. And, and, and part of that is we're asking people to make commitments. You say, why do we ask people to make commitments every couple years or so? Because we don't do this very often. It, it, it's one is um, it allows us to plan. It allows us to lead this place responsibly and keeps us from having to come to you every week and, and do this. And so this is a, a step of just health. The, the second thing is we actually believe it's a, a form of spiritual formation. That if, if God doesn't have a hold of your finances, he doesn't have a hold of you. If you're still acting like you're an owner in any aspect of your life, including finances, well then that's going to be something that's going to stunt your spiritual development. That learning the joy of giving, the obedience of, of tithing, the generosity of giving beyond yourself aligns yourself with this thing of just being in, involved in what God is doing. It, it helps you be part of something bigger than yourself. It causes you to grow. Let me say it this way, and I mean this with absolute sincerity. If someone came in and wrote us a check today for one bajillion dollars, that's two G's in bajillion, by the way, if anybody's thinking. Uh, anyway, if someone wrote two bajillion dollars, ten bajillion dollars, more money than we would ever need in the next ten years, we would still do this teaching. We would still take offerings. We would still call people to obedient giving and to sacrifice because it is crucial for spiritual formation. The happiest people I know are not people who use everything they have on themselves. The happiest people I know are people who are obedient and generous. They enjoy what they have so much more than the person who uses everything they have on themselves. And so this is, when, when the Bible says, it said in the verse, this is God's gift. When he calls us to be part of his work, when he calls us to learn this obedience, this is an issue of spiritual formation. We've got some people in our church who deeply understand that, and we've got a little video of some of the people. And what I want you to listen to is their joy. I want you to listen to how they're including their kids in this process. And I just want to hear them talk about being part of something bigger than themselves. It's not a hardship. When you think about stewardship, it's really an opportunity to give back all that God has given to us and see him use that to further his kingdom in ways that we couldn't imagine. Finances are a little bit strange because it's always, often very, uh, what, private? Uh, and so you don't always talk about it, but you gotta be aware, at least we had to be a little more aware with our kids. Actually, it's a little bit scary because <laughs> when you start talking to the kids about it, then they call you on it when you're not living, <laughs> living it out. It's like, yeah, okay, you're right. You, why, why am I doing this with my money? Yeah, good point. But example, living it out speaks volumes way more than trying to tell them about what to do with their finances. If someone has never considered tithing, giving to church, I would just say start. We get to partner in so many things that God is doing and I, I wouldn't know how to make that up somehow. I mean, I can't do that on my own. I don't have enough time to do it. I don't have enough talents to do that, but I can. God can use our money, for example, and, uh, and use that to further his word. Tithing. I think that's a great way to be a steward too. That really brought me to a new level of how I could give. I was like, okay, you're living kind of small. And we've been given a lot, and so it's time to just dive in and give. And you want to know something really interesting? We haven't missed any of it. And I just watch when you give and your kids watch you give, and then when you get to watch your kids do what you do, it's awesome. 
I think it's worth giving because you feel part of it. You know, this place is your home, so you, you want to take care of it and you want to you wanna see it do well and, it, and it's really cool to see the good that it does in other people's lives. Like we were saying, just give it a chance, you know. I'm new to it, so you can be new to it with me. Right after Garrett and I had gotten married, we were putting together our finances. We looked at it and we said, hey, we're pretty fortunate. Um, it's really not that much um, of God to ask of us to give a little bit back. It's a, you know, a calling from God and um, a calling that we need to respond to. We have so many blessings in our life and uh, opportunities that we don't need it all. I mean, it's not all ours and uh, we don't need to keep it all for ourselves. You have to start somewhere. Um, if, if you believe in Christianity and, and, and you believe in the Bible, the Bible is very clear in giving back to God. We make it very clear to our children what we do, what we participate in, how much we give to the church, um, and, and that everything they receive is given to them. Nothing is really theirs. So it is kind of cool to see our kids share or, or give back. Kind of makes you look at, you did something right as a parent. So that's pretty cool. We finally realized it's like, okay, God has blessed us with, with these things. And now it really is time to, um, you know, show him that to we, him. yep, to trust mm -hmm. him with every aspect of our life. You may be having other areas, but maybe not your finances. And so... Yeah. It was a little scary. For sure it was we initially. the two oldest that were not even in elementary school yet and a brand new baby. And I felt like we were really stretched financially. But God just kept <laughs> saying, it's time. I think for for our kids coming here and tithing, um, it's, it's fun. You can invest your money in, in where your priorities lie. And... A lot of times you can do it in foolish things, in toys and, and different things, but every week when Stephanie would write a, write a check for the offering <laughs> and then she'd put it on my leg and kind of tap it and I'd kind of look at it and you know, open it up and awesome. This is yeah. kind of one of those things that it's just exciting to be able to give back. You know, what I love about those folks, they're just a, a, a few of the hundreds of families, literally hundreds of families um, that are walking with us is the joy, the way that they're, they're discipling their kids by involving their kids in this process. I remember the first time my kids asked me about this and I showed them our budget and I, and I showed them the first thing on our budget, top of the list is this thing of tithing. And they said, wow, we could do stuff, we could go stuff, we could buy stuff. And I said, that's not our stuff. And, and it, it was something that sank deep inside of them about what the priorities of our lives are. I, I love the joy. I love the fact that every one of these folks, they're, they're involved here. They serve here. They lead here. They're leaders in our church. And, and one of the cool things that happened when we did Live It Well, we started that. We started talking about Live It Well five years ago. We called people commitments about two and a half, three years ago, um, is that hundreds of families took the step of starting to tithe, and it just changed everything around here and allowing us to have impact on the valley. All the ministry, all the impact is just powerful. Again, you can see more about it in the video that I've asked you to look at. Um, 
But this is a step we can all take together. And so um, we created tools. This, this book, this study book, if you looked at page 116, there's all kinds of different scenarios of how a person might take, fill out this card. And, and I want this card to be a burden or a curse. I want it to be a blessing. I want it to be a spiritual tool that you and your family pray over and say, okay, God, you know, what's the step we're supposed to take? Let me show you a couple, some of the steps you could take. You look at the commitment card. Maybe you're at a point where you really don't give at Jacob's Well, you're robbing yourself one of the great joys, uh, a spiritual practice um, that could really change something inside of you. Maybe you say, I'm going to just start giving. This is like someone gave five bucks a month over the next two years. It might be this. Maybe this is where you're going. You say, you know what? We're going to take a step towards tithing. And maybe that's 10% of you make. Maybe that's not even close to 10%. Maybe you don't make that much or you make more, whatever. The numbers don't matter. But this is a person who says, you know what? God has called me to do it. He said, test me in it. I've heard the testimonies of others. We're going to start that practice, or we've fallen out of that practice. We're going to get back into that practice. We're going to make a commitment so the church can go forward with strength and confidence. Some people may say, you know what, and then every year we could give a little above our tithe. Uh, we could do without this. We could sacrifice this because so many have sacrificed come before us. And, and just like you heard in the testimony, it's amazing how little you miss and how God blesses. I, I have found you can't outgive God. I just, it's been my experience over and over again, maybe not all materially, but there are things you get that you can only give when you learn obedience and generosity through a process of discipleship, be part of something eternal, God's people, God's church. Uh, every year, uh, a family may give that, and that may not be your number. You may find numbers that are much smaller or bigger uh, based on your situation. In over two years, um, and a family could give that, and, and then maybe there's something we call shared resources or stored resources. Shared resources are just things that you could donate, you could give. Over the years, we've had baseball card collections given and rings and, and stock portfolios. Right now behind our church, there are two giant boats that we're, we're selling that a person just was spiritually impacted by God, and God just said, you're supposed to give those up. Those are supposed to be part of what we're doing next in the life of our church. And that was a spiritual step for them in a profound way. And it can lead uh, to people making commitments um, that are profound. And, and so I'm not asking you to fill this out and turn it on today. In fact, um, I want you to use these tools. In this book are the plans we have, the challenge we have, how we want to respond different tools you can use to discern what God wants you to do. Say, I got questions. There's a section on frequently asked questions, and don't be surprised if your questions or objectives aren't, our objections aren't spoken to there, particularly if you take time to watch the video and see where we're at as the church. I encourage you to involve your children in this. I ask you to do that for two reasons. One, you're the main spiritual leader in your child's life, and if you want them to be generous and obedient, model it. And the second reason is they tend to be a lot more generous than the adults, so I really want to get them involved. Actually, that's, anyway, anyway, that, that's, anyway, the point is this, is that there's a step for all of us to take. Maybe you're here this weekend, you see, you don't understand, Paul, we are upside down, that my heart wants to, but you just don't understand. Well, maybe your step is to reach out and to get involved in what we call Financial Peace University. It's something that Dave Ramsey brings to the table we can go through and you can learn God's view of finances. And maybe your connection card is just going to put your name and say, we're going to do financial peace. There are people who did financial peace in years past who are now learning the joy of giving and, and they have discovered when you get God's view, it just changes everything in a deep and profound way. There's a step for everybody to take. Don't do it because I asked. Don't do it because it's pressured. No one's going to put you on the spot or call you or anything like that. 
Do it not even because you love the church. Do it because, because you want to offer this up as an act of obedience and worship to God, ultimately. So who's your next steps? Maybe you're here this weekend and you heard this thing about heaven. Maybe you're new here. I just want to let you know if you're new here, we don't do this often. We don't do this all the time. Kind of a special kind of season in the life of our church. Um, but if you're here and, and you say, boy, that, that is exactly where I'm at. I need to find the God who exists above the chaos. Grab one of these books and inside you'll find devotions, a scripture reading, and some questions you could ask this week that would guide you. Um, this Friday night, there's a very special night event. This is a night of worship and advanced commitment. Say, what is that? Well, that's going to be a night where we're going to come out and it's primarily going to be worship. We're going to pray for our church. We're going to pray for other churches in the Chippewa Valley. We're going to pray for the worldwide church that's in persecution. We're going to pray for our share partners. And then we're going to have a time where those who are ready, just those who are ready, you don't have to participate in this part. If you don't want to, you can just come up for worship. You can come and you can offer your, your, your commitment. There are many people who have heard about this months ago at this point, and they've had time to pray and to go through the process. This is primarily our leaders. And in the Bible, when a, a group of God's people were called to commitment to do something for God, the leaders came first. And so we believe our leaders coming first can inspire all of us to participate. So if you could come out this week and take part in that. My wife Whitney and I are going to be making our commitment, and I won't say too much about any of those details, but we have participated in everything we've always done. We've been tithing since before we were married, um, and we're going to make the largest commitment to anything we've ever done as part of this. We just believe it's that crucial in the life. So just so you know, your leaders are with you on this. That's just all I want to say about that. But, but this is this Thursday night. There's some other dates coming up that are important. Uh, there's the, the night of worship, this, this an advanced commitment this, this Friday. And then on 16th and 17th in our worship service, we're going to have a time where people will be able to bring their commitments forward as an act of worship. On the 23rd and 24th, we're going to have an entire weekend where we're not just going to teach about prayer. We're going to pray as the people of God. It's going to be powerful in experiencing prayer and in learning about prayer that weekend. And then December 14th and 15th is the first official offering that we'll take over the next two years for Legacy. It's our first fruit offerings. Many times there are those who want to bring a special gift or part of their gift uh, in advanced form to get us started on a, str a strong foot. Not everybody does that, but some people do that. So the, the, the point is simply this. It's not about what you give. It's not about how you give. It's about taking a step. And there's a step for everybody to take this. And it's not about the numbers. It's not about the finance. It's about spiritual formation. It's about discipleship. It's about taking steps to know and become like Christ. Let, let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you are the God who exists above the heaven. You are the God who is in control. You are a God who has a plan, and your plan endures. And you invite us to be part of your plan, not really because you need us, but because we need you. We need something bigger than ourselves to be part of. Father, I pray that you will just continue to transform us, move us from people who make our life about us and for us and for ours, and move us towards this place of stewardship that we recognize this life is about and for you and your purposes. Father God, I just pray that as we grow in this thing of obedience and generosity, we would also see joy grow. We would also, Father, see um, um, just enjoyment of this life grow as we recognize that this time under the sun is just the opening act for an eternal, eternal reality that just changes everything. 
Father God, I thank you for your people. I thank you for the hundreds of people who have learned and are learning this lesson. Deepen it in all of us as we all take steps together to know and become like you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.